Greetings, future fossils, and welcome to another edition of the show that examines our place in the landscape of time. Well, a huge part of the equation of being a modern human being is being a cyborg. And of course, by cyborg, I mean a cybernetic organism in the language of Norbert Wiener and Gregory Bateson and all of those original cyberneticists who understood that every living creature is an open system. And in fact, we're all linked minds inside some great and invisible mind at large. Those are Bateson's words, folks. These are the people who gave us the worldview responsible for our meta-industrial society and all of its splendors and anxieties. And so, of course, it's important to examine in a true and accurate record of our time, body hacking. The phenomenon of treating one's own flesh as a technological device that can be manipulated, upgraded, experimented with, played with, expanded, and the psychological and ethical issues that come along with this, the freedom of the individual to determine their own body, etc., we really go there on these issues in this episode with Trevor Goodman of the Body Hacking Conference. It's a lovely little geek fest that happens here in Austin, Texas. And I had the pleasure of moderating a panel discussion at the Body Hacking Con last year on hacking consciousness. This year I will be on tour in Australia and I won't be able to attend, but I think you should. <laughs> I encourage it. It's an absolutely wonderful weekend full of interesting people as this conversation should indicate quite clearly so before we get started just a reminder that if you would like to support this podcast as well as the other creative things i do to participate in this important transitional moment in human and earth history then look me up on patreon.com slash michael garfield I would love to have you on the inside track getting all of the benefits that come with being a Patreon supporter. Also, of course, please subscribe, rate, and review this show on iTunes or Stitcher or wherever it is that you're listening to it. We at Future Fossils, and it isn't just me, we also have Evan Snyder and Andrew O'Keefe on this team. We all do this show because we believe that these conversations are important. And if you agree, then you can help us get this show into the ears of listeners by helping us game the algorithm. That is, by training the system to understand that you like this show and that people like you might as well. So that's that. And on the back end of the podcast, the big update is that I leave for Australia on Sunday to paint and play music and speak at a couple of awesome festivals, Rainbow Serpent and Earth Frequency Festivals, as well as a couple of gigs in Sydney, Melbourne, and Byron Bay while I'm down there giving talks on evolution and insights from the history of life to the future of life, how to live in the future, excerpts from the upcoming book. And I'll be gathering a lot of interesting podcast interviews, I'm sure, the way I did at Boom Festival, as well as taking a lot of 360 footage. And all of that stuff will be up on Patreon sooner or later. If you know anybody in Australia, please put us in touch. I would love to meet all of the interesting heads and hearts I can while I am down there. And with that, thanks for listening. 
enjoy this episode. It's a truly fascinating and bizarre conversation. Trevor Goodman of the Body Hacking Conference. Greetings, everybody. Welcome to Future Fossils Podcast. And we're here today with Trevor Goodman, who is an instrumental figure in the body hacking conference that I was a, a part of in Austin last year. A really cool convergence of intelligent and creative people who are pushing the boundaries of what it means to be human. So welcome on board, Trevor. Thanks for having me. <laughs> yeah, man, and really, we don't have any particular direction for this okay. today, so uh, I think maybe the place to start is narrative and mythological, and just ask how you personally got interested in, well, f- first of all, let's assume nothing and define body hacking for our okay. audience. Uh, yeah, I think that's a good idea. Um, generally, it's a, it's a newer term, even though it's definitely been around for at least a dozen years or so. Um, when we started using it, we started using it because uh, we wanted to differentiate our scope from biohacking in general. We wanted to focus more on uh, human bodies and and other bodies as specific individual entities. Um, and so when when we were looking at words to use for this, we looked back at some of the writing that Quinn Norton had done when people first started putting magnets under their fingers and all that other thing. And she referred to it as body hacking. A lot of other people referred to it as body hacking at that time. A lot of it came out of the information security culture and community and out of the maker and DIY culture and communities. And so the term hacking um, comes from that perspective of understanding a system and and making it do what you want. So uh, we're only doing that for the body. So that's that's an idea of what body hacking is. It's uh, in short, the scope of the event at least is wearable tech, uh, cybernetics and prosthetics and bionics, that sort of thing, nootropics, health, fitness, nutrition, body modification, anything you can do to be more like uh, your ideal self. Right on. So, and it's how did you get an, into this? Like, where in your biography did it suddenly become a relevant thing for you? Well, I don't know if this was ever a suddenly a relevant thing for me. Um, I'm one of those people who've always felt like they were in the wrong body uh, growing up um, and was really into cyberpunk literature as I was growing up and into Shadowrun and played all those games and was always into seeing where technology was taking us. Um, simultaneously, I've also always had a fascination with humans in general. Um, so I studied a lot of biology in grade school, um, was planning on going into neuroscience, but ended up going into psychology. Instead, I wanted to, to, to understand how people thought more the inner mechanical workings of things. Um, there's been a lot of neuroscience that's almost made me regret that decision that's come out recently. Uh, some of David Eagleman's work is just mind-blowingly amazing. And so I went into psychology. Um, I also have a minor in religious studies, so I like to tell people uh, I have I studied people, and I also like to study what people think and what people believe, um, because I think these are fundamental concepts of um, what makes us human. Um, so, yeah, that's kind of how I got here. Um, I went into event management, and then uh, as I was coming on board with this company, uh, they wanted to 
develop a place for people to come together to discuss these kinds of concepts as they were evolving. There's a lot of transhumanist events out there. There's a lot of futurist events out there that talk about how things are going to be in 10 years or how things are going to be in 20 years. Um, frankly, we have no clue um, what things are going to be like in 10 or 20 years. 20 years ago, um, you know, we, we weren't carrying uh, our memories around in our pockets with us like we are now. So we really like to focus on what's happening now in this space, in human augmentation, in cyborgs, in, in body hacking, and then in the next two years, because just so much changes so quickly right now. Uh, it's important for us to, to focus on those things. So that's why we're building this event, and that's why I'm here. Uh, I have a fascination with it, but it's it also uh, fits into my career scope. Right on. So there's this there's a through line here listening to this between an interest in human psychology and religion and belief, and then also you mentioned feeling like you'd been born in the wrong body, and that's like a, a pretty common feeling. I, I wonder... You know, there's there's a clear relationship. You look at people like Martine Rothblatt, who is the the uh, transgender inventor of digital satellite radio and the author of uh, a number of books, kind of transhumanist manifestos on identity freedom. And it just seems like there's a real solid connection, or there has been for a while, in in terms of people staking this like hyper. I don't know what you'd call it in, in terms of like political philosophy, but like this hyper libertinist almost yeah. mode of like, I'm going to take whatever shape I yeah. want to. And also <clears throat> the, you know, the, a, a sense of feeling out of place, yeah. like the, the avatar thing that happened when everyone, everyone really felt like they belonged in this, you know, living on Pandora. Like second life and all that kind of yeah, stuff. And yeah, and so I'm, I'm curious to you, like, how do you, how do you think it is that, you know, where, where do you, like, what do you see in that space where, why is it that so many people feel so out of touch with their, the body that they have? And it doesn't seem like a new thing. Like, you know, everything that we call transhumanist today is an extension of something that's been going on for thousands of years. Right. So, I don't know. What do you think about all that? Well, I mean, when I mentioned, when I defined body hacking earlier uh, and and said, hey, we're talking about wearables, we're talking about cybernetics and prosthetics, those are all new things. Those are all interesting things. Um, But uh, some of us with a more um, inclusive definition of body hacking might even go back to say that uh, our very clothes, um, fire itself... Uh, and, it's, and certainly things like um, reading glasses are all human augmentation in a way. It's all ways that we are trying to um, control our own immediate environment. And as we've evolved as a species, as we've learned more as a species, as we've investigated our environment, uh, we've um, been able to reach beyond um, our normal sensory capacity and uh, reach beyond what our pure genetics have given us. And so, in a way, I think this sort of expression comes from our innate need to set ourselves apart from other people. I mean, I don't know where that came from originally. It could could have come from tribal identity and, and being able to identify people that were in your immediate social groups. It certainly still um, stems from wanting to identify with people in your immediate social group and wanting to identify with people like you. Uh, the punk culture in the 1980s had very significant hairstyles and had very uh, specific 
looks. And um, even though it was a very individualistic culture, uh, they still felt the need to um, identify themselves in certain ways. And so I guess the more that we feel like we have control over our own bodies and our own immediate environment, it helps us to uh, make ourselves stand out apart from the noise, I guess is the, the easiest way. This is, it's complicated. Yeah. Well, like I, I heard a, some scientific research recently that, that said that there's a relationship, there's a correlation between the deciding to resolve a conflict with physical force and upper body strength. Mm. And that, that there's this this tendency that, you know, that males tend to have, on average, more upper body strength and, like, the male strategy for solving conflicts through physical coercion. And, you know, when you look at the way that our bodies are shaped by our minds, like, I know this, this uh, hypnotherapist who has said, you know, the, the thing that people don't understand about psychology is that it's, it's ultimately a study of the body, mm-hmm. you know, that, that really the whole thing about the psychiatrist's couch and like having someone lie down is that it's a parasympathetic nervous hack where, you, you know, you're just getting the person right. to assume a submissive and receptive posture so that they're actually willing to divulge things. And so, yeah, there is this thing of like where the freedom of the body is also the freedom of the mind and... It gets tricky in there. Well, and I mean, I we get into a lot of ethical issues really quick because it's impossible to divorce our own personal expression from our interactions with other people. I mean, we do we do look at each other, we talk to each other, we live in environments where we must interact with other people who can cause us discomfort or who can cause us happiness or who can cause us indifference or anger and and so in a way even even your basis social your your basis personal uh, expression is a is a social interaction. I mean, one of the things that popped out whenever you were talking in my head was talking about how uh, yeah our, our 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 own brains shape our bodies and our own DNA shapes our bodies and a lot of that is internal, but so much of it is social and so much of it is external. And not only is it social, but I mean the the, the clearest examples in my head is that our skulls are shaped to receive the impact of human fists to talk about to go back to violence and our fists are shaped to deliver the maximum force to a human skull i mean so we've we've done studies on on how skulls have uh, evolved over time and how fists have evolved over time and it just shows that you know those of us who can receive and give the most punishment pass on our genes to to more people and so even in those like basic fundamental social ways it affects our dna and it affects who we are as as people mm. <laughs> yeah dang well so, <laughs> so you and and uh susan so folks i've been writing occasionally for the body hacking conference blog and one of the one of the pieces that i've been asked to write that i haven't written yet that hopefully will will be out by the time that you hear this and we can link to it in the show notes is on autonomy and and this particular issue of how where you know the we're made out of interfaces basically you know every every piece of us if you want to get into 
the cybernetic view of it. You know, there's Francesco Varela and Umberto Maturana who pioneered this notion of autopoiesis, that every living thing, it's very intricate about how mind is a self-organizing process that's not separate from the processes of the cell. And this issue of where do I begin and where does someone else end and where does hacking my body is, is ultimately always a political act because in some way it's interfering not interfering but intervening with the commons well it's it's interfering with this the expectations that the system has at that time so yeah like uh if i go out in public and wear neon colors and walk around the mall it's going to irritate people right <laughs> it's, it's going to irritate people and it's is it is it really that they have an issue with the neon colors it's no it's not it's because i'm breaking myself out of their ability of their unconscious to just wash over the people in the crowd. So I'm mm-hmm. forcing myself into their consciousness by wearing an outfit that stands out or by acting in a way that stands out. And, you know, I mean, in a way, if you want to get down to the root of violence, in, in a way, that's a violent act, right? And so, like, I mean, the repercussions are not awful um, generally, but people react to it as if it's a violent act. And so you're right. It is. It's you. You can't. You can't remove these things because, I mean, in a way, we're a we're a social species, and and we don't we don't exist in a vacuum. I mean, we don't find each other and meet each other and mate and then leave and never interact with other humans. <laughs> we live in a these swarms of humans that bring in materials from hundreds and hundreds of miles away and pile them up into giant towers so we can do paperwork. <laughs> so I know that one of the things that we wanted to talk about today Sorry. was this is good yeah. yeah this is one of the things that I wanted I, I know that you mentioned that you're you know specifically interested in sensory augmentation and so there's a there's a a quick story I wanted to tell you here that you, what you just said brought up for me something happened to me last week that involves sensory augmentation and the violence of making a bid on someone's attention and basically I was in the mall last week taking photographs for a company that's doing a street view style business directory of Austin's businesses. Mm-hmm. So you've got to take a 360 degree photo. I use a Ricoh Theta and yeah. it's like the photosphere just outside the business and just inside the business. So of course, if I'm getting paid by the shot, where am I going to go do this? The mall, right? So I'm in there and I'm just telling people real friendly, you know, Hey, we're, I'm just doing a business directory and you know, this is just going to get more people in your door. We're just, it's a free service. Google actually charges for the same service, by the way. And I was in there. I had, it took me more than one day to sweep the entire mall. And the second day I went in there, somebody in the Claire's called mall security on me. And they took me into the office to meet the director of the mall who <laughs> basically issued a cease and desist. And I was detained by mall security for walking in there with this thing that has a camera on both sides. And there's just, there's something about <clears throat> specifically the sensory augmentation where people are aware, this is not the first time I've experienced this. I had this as a glass explorer where people were visibly uncomfortable by the fact that I'm wearing this thing that they felt like meant that I could feel or know or sense more than they could. And so I knew things about them that they didn't know about me. It makes people really uncomfortable. It's like a breach of contract. So I don't know. What do you, what do you think about all of that stuff? I mean, those issues, that kind of stuff I think is really more of a privacy, uh, surveillance issue. 
Neil Harbison has talked about being assaulted a couple times because people thought that he was recording them. That's the guy who's colorblind, but he's got a, a microphone attached to his skull so he can hear all of these colors that human beings can't even see. Well, it's it's an antenna, is what he calls it, and mm. it uh, it's actually a small camera. It sends sine waves into his skull, so uh, he's hearing through his skull effectively everything from infrared to uv i believe so but yeah anyway um neil harbison had said that he's been assaulted a couple times and he believes that in every every situation people thought that he was recording them without his permission um a lot of people who have been assaulted with google glass on have said that they felt like people were recording them without their permission so i think i don't like getting too deep into these issues because i think we have a wider um I hate using this this phrase, sea change, uh, perspective change, culturally, uh, about privacy, because I don't think some of these issues are going away, and people who are recording us certainly are not excited about stopping recording us. Um, whether that's our data on the internet, whether that's your CCTV when you go into the bank, whether that's whenever you get recorded on a phone call, when you call in for customer service at your cable service, that's awful. Um, people don't like being recorded, and so I don't, I don't feel like people generally... I don't think we've had a lot of data reporting that people have attacked other people for their perceived advantages over them. So I don't, mm. most of the, Neil has said in every, in every opportunity, he doesn't think that people have attacked him because he can see more colors than they can. Um, for instance, or that it makes me kind of angry. Right. I mean, I'll be honest. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the thing. It's like, it, it doesn't, it's not, you know, maybe that wasn't the best example because it's not for me. It's, it isn't just a surveillance issue. It's also this issue of, you know, the, the fear that I hear when people talk about what whatever, you know, limited refraction of transhumanism cool. is mostly the sense of being left behind. I, I definitely think that there's that. I definitely think that um, people don't, in general, people don't like feeling that other people are better than them. Surprise. <laughs> Surprise. Um, do you like feeling like people are better than you? No. Um, so, I mean, there's... I think there's this innate generalization that um, I'm right all the time and that other people are mistaken and that my perspective, we'll get back into the senses, my perspective is the is the correct perspective and other people are not, uh, are, other people are perceiving the same thing that I'm perceiving, but not only that, but then they're misinterpreting it or they're just acting a fool because obviously the things that I'm seeing and hearing are the things that they're seeing and hearing and perceiving. So, uh, to, to push us more off on that tangent, because it is what I like to talk about and because it's, it's amazing. Um, sensory augmentation and sensory substitution really, I think because of some of these issues have the, the biggest opportunity to fundamentally change like who we are as people and how we interact with our environment. And I also think it's the biggest thing that's going to blindside people because some of this stuff is just right around the corner um like what well so uh first let's 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 lay some let's lay some foundational work um in the past year darpa put out press releases that said that they are getting touched to work in prosthetics uh they have hooked up a paraplegic woman to a jet simulator and she taught herself how to fly the jet just by having her brain connected to it um, in a day or two. Uh, So we know now that the brain is an amazing pattern recognition machine. 
So that's really all the brain does, is it recognizes patterns. Uh, when you're listening to a friend, you're hearing sounds come out of their mouth in patterns that your brain recognizes and associates with meaning. When you are reading a book, <laughs> yeah. when you're, well, and, and this is the thing is so you're, we all know that the way to communicate is you hear a thing and then you communicate feedback and you say that this is what I heard you say. Is this what you mean? Mm -hmm. And when we do that, you are at your very core touching on the concept that we don't necessarily ascribe the exact same meaning as other people to sounds. We have different connotations to words. To me, if somebody says blue, right, you may be talking about that, like, you connotate with the sky. If people talk about the color green, a lot of times you're, you think about nature and you think about the environment around you. And because, and so you're not just talking about the color, you're talking about all the connotations that come with it. So because your brain is a pattern recognition machine and it hears these words and it reads these words, it, so you look at light bouncing off of your page and that comes across as symbols which come across as words which come across as meanings. And so in all of these things, what we're doing is we are tapping into, our senses tap into the brain as a pattern recognition machine. So what we've learned is that it's a lot more simple than you might have expected to just plug a thing into the right part of the brain and let the brain figure out how to communicate with it. So in this jet fighter example, the, it's sending all sorts of data, um, you know, in electrical pulses, just like your optic nerve does uh, to her brain to say that, okay, well, this is how far you are from the ground. This is how the wind condition is moving. This is how the plane is tilted. This is how it tilts up and down. We'll talk more about this in a bit. Um, Michael, <laughs> Michael wrote one of those lovely articles that if you haven't read that, that we'll get, we'll get more into it. But so there are a lot of amazing groups going on right now, amazing projects going on that, I mean, even 10 years ago started. So in, in 2005, a group called Feel Space created a belt with vibrator motors around the outside of the belt. And it sensed, the belt sensed where North is and vibrated where North was. And so after some time of wearing this belt, people reported that they had a better understanding of where North was in their environment. But while you were wearing the belt, you had a, a guaranteed, um, well, as long as a magnetic compass works, which it doesn't inside buildings. And there are issues with these senses because they're senses. Um, <laughs> you had an idea of where North is. So what they did was they gave a human being the ability to sense north. And after wearing it for some time, you stop recognizing it consciously. And then you have this unconscious understanding of, of where north is, just like you have an unconscious understanding of the road noise that's 300 feet from me. But I'm not hearing it. I'm not processing it con consciously. So there's Fuel Space in 2005. More recently, Phantom Terrains, which uh, Frank Swain and Daniel Jones over in the UK wired a iPhone to communicate Wi-Fi signals to a pair of earbuds that Frank Swain wears constantly. So Frank is hearing impaired, so he wears hearing aids. He wears modern hearing aids. And they set up his iPhone to where it would um, transmit signal strength and SSID and encryption mode to his ear. So as he walked through his environment, he heard hums and other communications of other interpretations of what Wi-Fi signals look like. So we know that uh, we can augment the senses through directly through like by hearing Wi-Fi or by knowing where North is. Um, and these are projects that have existed for years. Brainport 
is a device that lets you see through your tongue. There's a similar device made by Colorado State University that lets you hear through your tongue, and all these do is they read visual or auditory signals in your environment and then transmit it to a grid of electrodes on your tongue. So we found that the tongue can actually sense <laughs> electrodes one millimeter apart from each other, which is a whole lot bigger resolution than the Brainport has. But it's it's amazing enough that uh, Eric Weinmeier, who is has been blind since he was 13, can uh, climb to the summit of Mount Everest with this device. He does uh, really sheer surface climbing and does it entirely blind. Then there's Neosensory, who has the vest. This is came out of one of David Eagleman's lab projects. Scott Novich is also with this project. And the vest has a series of 32 vibrator motors around the vest. And it was originally intended to augment people who were unable to hear. And in, what it does is it the software they wrote for it initially takes sounds like technology and trans turns those into patterns around in the vest so it goes like but it's in a very specific pattern it's repeatable when one person says technology it sounds similar to when another person says technology but it's also able to be used for things like being able to feel the pitch or the awe or the roll of, of drones. So if you wear this vest and you hook it up to your drone, you can feel which direction the the drone is facing. And so Michael actually wrote about some of this recently, and this is where it gets really interesting, and this is where we get back to the what is our bodies. Right. Um, because what exists right now is drone racing leagues, and what they do in these drone racing leagues is they wear VR headsets because you can't fly a drone as well from the ground as you can looking from behind its eyes. Um, and so imagine that you take this vest and the VR goggles and you wear both of them. And so now you're not only seeing as the drone, you're feeling as the drone. And let's add, you know, beyond that, let's add wind sensors on it. And, and we could hook that up to an electrical stimulus on the back of your neck. And let's add auditory signals from the drone and we can feed that into your ear. These are things that we can do right now. Like these are things that we can do right now. So... We can give you phantom drone syndrome <laughs> right, so when you you're can, not plugged in. You can live as a drone and it, temporarily right now. I mean, as long as the batteries lasted on your drone, I think is really the only <laughs> the only thing. And if you if you put yourself into this environment, into this separate environment than you live in right now, so your your surroundings, your environment as a human is your sight, your sound, your your touch what the humidity feels like, what the pressure is on your skin when you're sitting down. All of those things are normal, but when you encase yourself in this second environment, in a way you're not even in your body anymore. It gets it gets to some really interesting philosophical questions really quick, but even without taking ourselves out of our own bodies, look, your your visual spectrum, the visible light is a tiny sliver of the electromagnetic spectrum. You've got X-rays, which uh, we know, we've, we know exist because we found them, and then we made technology that could utilize them and could sense them, but we don't sense them directly, right? You've got gamma rays, which we know from the Fantastic Four gives you superpowers. Uh, there's, infrared, there's infrared light, which is, which is right next to our visible light. It's really close. A lot of animals have infrared light. It's not an unusual thing for a living creature 
to be able to sense. Oh, you know, I just saw that there was, there's now, they found a way to use microscopic crystals and a laser in a frame of what looks like ordinary glasses mm -hmm. so that they're able to shift infrared up into the visible spectrum. And it's just a pair of spectacles that you can use to see IR instead of like a heavy, bulky pair of infrared goggles now. And, and see, this is why I like to talk about the older stuff is technology too because like just because it's a simple solution doesn't mean it's not technology and just because we discovered it 2,000, 4,000 years ago, 5,000, whatever doesn't mean that it's not body hacking in my perspective. I mean if we would have figured out a way to, to see infrared uh, 200 years ago maybe we would be wearing infrared regular glasses all day long. But yeah, so we don't we don't even begin to see what the electro electromagnetic spectrum is. Oh yeah, also FM, cell phones, Bluetooth, all of these things communicate in the same type of wavelength that the light that you see and interact with is. So imagine being Neil and being able to see an infrared and, and UV and like that's just part of your understanding of your environment. You don't have to get out a device to view that. It's a device that you wear all the time or it's integrated into you genetically. We've, we're actually working on gene therapy trials for colorblindness right now. So um, we may be able to do the same thing with tetrachromats and add a yellow cone to, to our vision. So yeah, the it's really difficult to talk about this in, there, in this short amount of time. There was a you team. Just go real who, quick. who was it? You probably know. There was a team of guys in Portland that were looking at adding an infrared cone to the eyes of monkeys. Mm. And, and they found that they were able to do it, but that the monkey, they, they were doing these visual tests and the monkeys did not immediately recognize that they were able to see this. It actually yep. took, it took time for their brains to adapt. And it will. Yeah. Because your brain doesn't know what it's receiving. So when you're a baby, I have a one-year-old. When you're a baby, like all you see is blurs and you see flashes of color and, and you're not, your, your brain has not been, see, your eyes have not been seeing yet. And so your brain has not been getting the signals from your eyes. And so therefore it takes time for your brain to recognize the pattern of impulses that your eyes are sending it and to ascribe meaning to that. Like that's, that's what we mean is how this works. And so if we can add infrared through gene therapy, like we're doing in these monkeys, or if you already can't see color and we can add a red green cone and now you can see color after a little while, our brains are amazing. And I think as we add more senses to, to our umfeld, uh, to our surroundings, <laughs> actually it's, it's, uh, Surround Ungabong is surroundings and Umwelt is the other one, whatever. It anyway, the, it was like the set and setting. Yeah, right? yeah. Uh, as we add more senses to ourselves, I think we'll come to understand in a more experiential way uh, what our environment's like. So we know that x rays exist, but we don't really understand as a part of our experience what that means. I understand where the sun is in relation to my body because that part of my body is warm. And if I could not feel heat and all I could see is light and I wasn't looking at the sun, I might not know where the sun was. Totally. Like that, that, that paints the whole history of humankind in this weird tragic lens where, <laughs> I mean, that's, that's a mixed metaphor folks, excuse me. But <clears throat> But this this notion of photographs in a lens. Yeah, Sorry. this 
this this issue of like telling somebody not to stand so close to an operating microwave or or looking for a house and realizing that you don't the issue of electro hypersensitivity which is not a recognized clinical condition in the United States but is in Europe and there are these people who feel physical pain when a television is on it's like they they have a sense that everyone else doesn't have and it's being routed through this thing so in a way like my I guess I I hope that that this would just make us more able, more adequate, you know, that, that it would keep us from accidentally burning ourselves on the stove, you know, like the, the, the people who discovered, you know, Mary Curie and all these people mm-hmm. that discovered all of these invisible spectra in the early 20th century, most, you know, so many of them died of cancers Yep. and, and how there is the liberating mm-hmm. element of it is like, remember being a kid and like, oh, the white squares, the white tiles are lava. Yeah. You know, and it's like, if we could see the invisible lava of our universe, you know, if we could, like, I heard recently there was a huge gamma ray burst that hit the earth this week. And they were saying, you know, look, you know, be careful if you're hanging out in these, you know, it's like these areas, space weather would be a, a topic of ordinary porch conversation. You'd be like, oh, look at that. It's, it's beautiful. Another gamma ray burst. Guess we should go inside. Then again, it's like getting back to that thing of, well, hopefully it's cheap enough that it's available to everybody well, and yeah this is this is inherently the problem with with some of this stuff is it's like okay is it pervasive enough and inexpensive enough that everybody can have access to it or does it um create a further divide uh it's you know these are ethical issues that we have to learn to deal with and we have to to thread that needle every day so there is <laughs> when you were talking about the the sensory substitution vests and belts there's yes. There's a story in uh, Arizona State University's science fiction compilation, Project Hieroglyph, mm-hmm. by Vandana Singh called Entanglement, where the one of the characters living in British Columbia has put, has some sort of sensor network in the rainforests up in mm-hmm. BC where they can tell the positions of all of the local charismatic fauna you know they're all being tracked by some really you know this is like 20 years from now or so so they've got a dense sensor network in the in the forest and he's trying to this character takes this dude who's responsible for this conservation policy decision and he puts one of these vests on him Mm -hmm. and the vest allows this guy to sense the location and distance of every creature in that forest. It gives him sort of like a prosthetic indigenous animistic awareness. And that, that experience of being able to actually feel the life of the forest in a channel that's understandable by some metropolitan technocrat was like the make or break moment of that narrative. Well, and, and this is the thing is what we don't realize is that all of our senses are what a lot of us don't realize is a lot of our senses are mostly unconscious uh, interactions on our being. And so many things that we do and so many problems that we try to solve consciously, we, our consciousness gets in the way of our own, of our own problem solving. So if, if this person uh, was trying to read a bunch of data on all of these animals every day, then they're not going to react as if as intuitively they're not going to react as intelligently as quickly as somebody who wakes up in the morning and goes oh i my underarm feels sick i wonder how the pumas are doing right <laughs> i mean 
this is why I think it's it's such a a fascinating thing as we start putting more sensors into our brain let me phrase it that way because that's really what we're doing as we start adding more sensors into our brain we're gonna we're gonna have to say okay well at what level are these sensors part of who i am at what level is this is this forest part of my very being so i mean if you wake up in the morning and there's a literal pain in your side you're more likely to to pay attention to that and go and resolve that and i think it helps us process our environment, process nature um, in a completely different way. This is actually uh, one of the things that, that Neil talks about a lot. It's one of the things that the company that Neil and Moon Rebus, who senses earthquakes through her elbow, um, and and some other folks have have put together. There's a there's a company called um, Cyborg Nest, and they are actually attempting to create individual new senses for humans. Their first product they've built is called North Sense, and it's meant to replicate um, an actual animal type experience of knowing where North is all the time. So it's it's uh, pierced onto preferably your chest and. It's supposed to be more 24-7, so uh, it's one of those, like, now I'm consciously always processing where it is. Obviously, you're going to have issues, again, in concrete buildings around uh, heavy electrical wires or anything else that makes electromagnetic fields, but realistically, that's that's the sense. It's like, that's part of the experience with that, with that new sense that you're adding in. So... Their whole mission is to try to help people engage more thoroughly with their environment, I think, is, is the way they're phrasing it. So mm. we're looking at being able to sense north. We're looking at being able to um, sense the ozone conditions of that day. So, like, what if, if you live in an area that has a lot of ozone alerts, you don't you don't need to check it that day. You just kind of look out the window or step outside for a little bit. Oh, it's awful. So, um, yeah, it's... <laughs> It's mind blowing, and I mean, you say twenty years on the the guy in the forest, but with the budget, with the right budget, we could do that on today's technology. Yeah, this thing about you know Marshall McLuhan making the case that it's the ratios of the senses that we emphasize that determine the way that we relate to one another socially. Yes, and that this main like the main difference between print and an oral tradition is actually the same kind of main difference that we see between print and the internet where everything is becoming much more immersive and immediate and we're getting into uh, what Douglas Rushkoff called fractal noia because we're actually embedded in that sensor network already to the extent that right. we're paying attention to the little box yeah you know and so so these these ripples of emotional resonance and excitation you know this the whole issue that people have been having with fake news because we are we're we're basically living in this like post literate rumor society now whenever i think about this stuff i wonder how the discovery of new senses or rather what the dis- discovery of new senses will mean socially <clears throat> when you know, like, we are we going to get together in a social molecule where, like, the wildebeest can smell well, the zebra can see well, and so they, they herd together. And so we'll have, like, Moon Rebus can sense earthquakes and Neil Harbison can see UV, and so they team up. You know, and it's like, it, it, it seems like we'll end up favoring these sort of pods of people with different ab- abilities. Well, I mean, I think we, we do that now. 
So, I mean, like when you build a company, you don't hire five marketing folks, right? <laughs> you don't hire uh, 10 uh, teenagers to answer your cell phones, your, your phones, right? I mean, you diversity in, in, in all things is valuable to us. I mean, like we, we, we know that. We know that when we have people around us who think differently than we do, that it helps us identify problems that we missed. It, it helps us identify holes in our senses, we'll say. And so, I mean, I, I, I think to me, that's an obvious one. I think, I mean, you will probably have groups of people who are all about the visual senses, I'm sure, though, too. And they'll all commune together and look at things very closely. Uh, but, I mean, <laughs> and, it will, and, and it will definitely, it, I mean, it'll definitely change our culture in general. I mean, just think, uh, you were talking about zebras, but humans um we're mostly visual we we know this uh we rely almost entirely on our visual sense and everything else is kind of layered on top of what we what we think of of our visual sense so because of that uh, a lot of the ways that we separate ourselves as individuals to bring us back to the, the beginning is in the way we dress, in the way we cut our hair. Um, when we want to make ourselves more attractive to other people, we wear makeup or we dress in a certain way. But if we had the sensory umwelts of a dog where we hardly saw anything, but we, we had a very good sense of smell, we probably wouldn't spend as much time wearing clothes with different color patterns and different accents, but we would probably have a much more expressive perfume industry. Mm -hmm. So uh, I think all of these things have the potential to change culture drastically. And as all of these things come about and as they become more common, um, as we get out of beta testing on a lot of those, because realistically that's where we are is we're in beta testing and a lot of these things. And as they become more accessible, I mean, who, if you could spend $100 and since North all the time and it worked and it was a simple device to recharge in 15 minutes, would you not? Wirelessly recharge, hopefully. Like, wirelessly recharge. How many, how many things right. do I have to feed is the question. So, and you know, it's like, that's, that getting back to that issue of autonomy, it's like, how yeah. many, what are the strings attached to all these superpowers? Do I have right. to, you know, am I going to pay Google for a subscription? Well, if, and if I have a giant robot that lets me travel all over the, the world by walking through the ocean, I mean, the cost for that is, is a lot, right? <laughs> and so, um, I don't, if I want a body that is a giant robot that I can sense and feel and see out of and hear through and is effectively me when I'm inside of it. Hopefully. It's got to be able to have right. sex too. Like well, it's that's the killer app. Those are the for, expensive robots, though. Yeah. I mean, and maybe I don't want a giant robot for that one. Maybe. <laughs> see, and why do you want just one robot? Why don't you want two robots? Why would you not make a, see? Like, and, and at some point, it's it's the same problem that we have with everything. It's like I want a pickup truck for moving for moving stuff from place to B, and I want uh, a car that's comfortable with a really good sound system and great gas mileage for my daily commute in and out of the city. So. I think that these are not problems that we don't already have, and we have solutions for these problems already. And, of course, this is where we get into the monetary divide. I mean, of course, some people will be able to, to afford 10 robot bodies, and some people will go, hey, you know, I'm pretty happy with my one. <laughs> and some people will go, mm, no thanks. Well, I hate and that's, that. And that's, and, that's, and, that's, and that's cool, too. I mean, I, I think having a body is really cool. And I'm more interested in, in adding senses to my existing body in making modifications to my existing body than leaving it all together for another one permanently or semi-permanently. But, I mean, these are all choices that 
that we have as individuals to express ourselves and to experience our environment in the way that we choose to experience our environment. It's not anything different than what we've been doing for 10,000 years or, or longer. Unless, of course, you know, you're Matt Damon in Elysium and you have to wear that fucking power suit in order to do your job, which I think, you know, how this is going to open up into the job space is really fascinating. And how, again, to bring up Avatar, you know, to enter another body for work and then to come home and be your own body right. is that, that that issue of you know, feeling like there's an emotional divide between what you do for a living and what you're doing at, when you get off, when you clock out is going to get so profound and deep and fractal and weird when you're like, you know, when I go to work, I fly and I, you know, and I have, and I can breathe underwater and then I come home and I can't do any of that shit. So yeah, imagine a, a, a world <laughs> here. I'm going to talk about 10 or 20 years from now. Get ready. Okay. Imagine a world 10 or 20 years from now when pilots stay at home, right? And your commercial yeah. airline pilot is not on your plane because he just puts his headset on and goes to work um we can't sense this is one of the one of the big issues with stuff like this right now is we can't communicate through the skull we have built such a uh strong bony structure to protect ourselves you know because we keep punching it because we keep punching ourselves if in the only face we had punched each other less if only we had punched each other less maybe we could have giant robot bodies already um so yeah i mean uh we're most of this stuff, like DARPA's experiments, are, are happening with people that already have bodies that don't function like the rest of ours do. And so it's easy to justify and it's easy to experiment making holes in the skull, literally, to put electrodes directly on the brain. But, I mean, for the rest of us, if you're just going to work, you may not need that. And technology is getting better. Sensors are getting better. We're getting better at reading signals from the brain. OpenBCI is doing some really amazing work on this. And they've just released a new version. And I think they had a sale recently. But either way, there are a lot of great companies doing a lot of great work. And I think it's going to have repercussions for a lot of things. And look, we don't even, we don't even have to talk about giant robot bodies, right? Um, let's <laughs> I talk. Mean, I kind of have to. Okay. Let's talk about controlling prosthetics. So right now, if you have a top of the line prosthetic, it has a myoelectric sensor likely, um, on the device itself that hopefully gets lined up with your muscles in the right way. And that when you flex muscles, further up in your arm, for instance, or in your shoulder, uh, or in other places in your body, it communicates, those myoelectric sensors read the electrical impulses from your muscles and communicate to the device that you want to move it. Where we're getting is being able to read the brain telling those muscles to communicate and then having the device move. So we're moving to a more unconscious interaction with with some of these devices and we already have a really weird line with people in their prosthetics so if an airline loses a, a person's prosthetic leg <laughs> it's treated like a property claim and not like a personal injury huh so if you rely on this device to interact with your environment, to communicate with your environment, to sense your environment, at what level is it you? At what level do we need to protect ourselves from each other damaging our sensory apparatuses, whether those are 
grown on us inside of our mothers or whether we attach them after the fact. Like, it's probably not even a crime right now to delete somebody's Facebook profile. It's I mean, maybe, other than, the other than like, you know, you could, they, they've hacked your... It may be a misdemeanor, yeah. right? I mean... But, I mean, it, it, this is the things, like, my buddy who's an archivist, he's going to be... Andrew O'Keefe is going to be joining us on the Future Fossils team here shortly as a co-host. And he's the archivist for Singularity University. Right. And one of the things that he and I talk about a lot is that Martine Rothblatt dual platform identity where you've left so much information about yourself online that you essentially have like a mold, like a digital version of you that you can live in a conversation with that can be can be your proxy or avatar in digital space and could be used for voting or... You're talking about mind clones. Yeah, mind um, clones. Yeah. So like if somebody, right now, if somebody were to kill your mind clone, that's a non-crime. Right. You know, it's... Well, and, and this is the thing is so this gets us into AI a little bit. It, it's, I think... Martin's spot on if we're going to guess 10 or 20 years out. Um, I think Martin's pretty pretty close on this concept here because at some point what what again what is you what are the boundaries of your body what is your data what is the difference between your memory and um, the things that I keep in my cell phone if I memorize <laughs> my cell phone if I memorize my home phone number 20 years ago is that any difference than if I have myself my home phone number in my cell phone and that's the only way I can access it I mean <laughs> we yeah. don't we don't have laws for this we don't have a cultural understanding that's ready to make these kind of ethical decisions and I think that's the scariest thing is is that a lot of this technology just moves is moving so quickly and a lot of us as a species are so not ready to process the changes of 20 years ago let alone process the changes of now mm. um, so this is why I think it's important to have these conversations. It's important to talk about that your sensory understanding of your world is not the same as my sensory understanding of my world, even if you're sitting right next to me, even if we're sitting across from each other, especially if we're sitting across from each other. I don't know what's behind me. Michael does. Yeah. Although I got to say, <laughs> I got to say, I had an experience many years ago. Uh, while under the influence of psychedelic mushrooms, admittedly, but we're talking like a decade ago, folks, um, where I I did for a moment, and this is this is where there's a part of me that's always going to be a little like woo woo, new agey, critical, like human potential, Esalen kind of of the uh, like technological prosthesis that is enabling us to communicate telepathically, for example, when it mm. seems there's so much evidence that we're already doing this and like certain of our latent capacities, you get into the same issue with memory where it's like, so in this experience, I actually did see what my girlfriend was seeing for a moment. Mm. Like this, this is a bizarre, I've only met a couple other people that have ever had any kind of experience like this where you, I slipped out of my own point of view and into hers and I could see the field behind me like, I was looking at trees. She had her back to the tree line. You know, I wonder about stuff like that. And I wonder, is is my reliance <laughs> on cameras kind of preventing my my own innate faculty for, like, remote viewing well, are or you, something? Well, are you, are, you are you tied down to a central place because your senses are so overwhelmingly crushing signals into your brain? Mm, right? Yeah. Um, so, I mean, this is, this is an interesting tangent here because, I mean, it gets into some of my uh, initial reasons why, I mean, I'm in this, into this kind of stuff is because we have such a limited understanding of what 
the world is like. And when I say world, I don't just mean this planet, but, you know, everything beyond it. But let's just pretend like it's the only place right now. Um, <laughs> and... We, we have we have no idea on what level we communicate. We, we've realized recently, so when I was growing up, we talked about the five senses. I don't know if they're teaching kids this nowadays. Because, oh, unfortunately, because I think they are. Realistically, I mean, it's not five senses. You've got edge detection in your eyes that's separate from motion detection, and some of these things are just mind-blowing mind-blowingly amazing. They're brain damage conditions where you can see things, but you don't ever see things move. <laughs> so like you can be pouring a cup of water in one moment and you see the water pouring into there and it's a still photo and then a moment later there's a still photo in front of you of the water is overflowing out of the cup and you don't have the motion sensor part of your brain active anymore so these things are separate these things are not individual senses you've got edge detection motion detection color detection light detection um we talk about our touch as it's one thing but you've got pressure and you've got temperature and you've got humidity and you've got electric you've got you can feel electrical fields to some extent when fun, we fun fact folks actually the the humidity and temperature ones my understanding is it's the same nerve type okay which is why it's so easy to trick yourself into believing that something is wet when you touch like a piece of cold metal and it feels but yeah so, anyway, so no so i mean this and that's and that's great i mean we we sense what our digestion is like at times we have some limited sense of that otherwise you don't sense necessarily what your lungs feel like but you do sense what your digestive system feels like so we're we already have so many senses but they're just so limited and we talk as people and we communicate with each other like our senses our direct senses are the only way that are the only way we can perceive things we can observe things that are happening in our environment and that's why science is really so important is because up until now we haven't had a way to perceive those things um, experientially we haven't had a way to perceive those things as part of our existence we've only had a way to perceive those things secondhand through an x-ray machine or through infrared goggles or through um, our radios in our car that let us sense the radio waves that are coming across when these analog signals were sent radio waves when it's an analog if you could perceive FM and AM radio waves that were sent analog, you will get those sounds directly into you, right? And they're not di- like so now they're sent digitally. So it goes beep 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 beep. Like I mean, that's probably you'd, you'd be getting ones and zeros. Not as fun to listen to. Um, yeah. But I mean, so there's so much we don't see. There's so much we don't understand. And I think that that's really the beginning of <laughs> of the whole journey. And that's always been been part of who I was, uh, was trying to study these things, trying to understand these things, whether it was psychology and trying to figure out how my own brain worked, whether it was neuroscience and biology and trying to figure out how I interact with my environment and how I distinguish my environment from myself. I mean, all of these things are, are part of a, a journey of understanding your own place in the universe. And I think that as we connect ourselves to our environment in new and interesting ways whether that's a prosthetic or whether that's our car or whether that's a drone that we fly to check out the way the rainforest looks today for because that's part of our work i mean anyway we're all we're all of those we're trying to understand our, our own place in the universe and 
getting more mysterious. Yeah, you know, I mean, that's the thing is the world is a mysterious fucking place. Um, and it's always been a mysterious place. And that's why we that's why we try to understand it. And that's why we've developed language so we could communicate with each other. And it's why we developed writing so we could hold those ideas beyond our own lifespans. And it's why we've created telephones so we could communicate those ideas further across. And the more that we can find ways to communicate those ideas to other people and the more that we can find ways to experience those ideas for ourselves I think we we have a better understanding of what we're doing here and, and what this place is. Gosh well, that's, <laughs> that seems like a good place to tie a bow on it out of, out yeah, of respect so for too. your time I, I had a, a, devi- a devarication failure with my outboard memory this morning and we had to cut this interview a little short because I'm this, getting rambly anyway. Yeah but but, <laughs> but before we go two things uh, the first is I I, I love love asking guests if you had a question for the future because this really this is this podcast is about the project i'm not going to live to see finished right right and maybe you will because you're a little hackier than i am uh but so if you had a question for the future what would it be (laughs) so you're gonna think this is funny um because it's one of the first things that you said on this podcast but it wasn't the i had come up with it this morning before you got here I really like asking the question of people in general, and I think that this is more important as we diversify as a species and as we diversify as individuals, is to ask ourselves, what does it mean to be human? And because I don't really think that there's an answer to that, I think the answer is in its exploration. And if I was going to be speaking to people who weren't born yet, I would be asking this question in a way to hopefully encourage them to continue the search and not to decide that they found it already. Oh, cool. Right on. And then lastly, before we go, where can, where, where do you want to send people? Where, you know, oh, obviously yeah. the body hacking. Shameless plug. Da, da, da. Yeah. All right. So, um, body hacks or body hacking con is at Austin, Texas, January 27th through 29th. So that's in a little over a month from now, this just before Christmas Eve, Eve day. And, uh, so that's at Austin convention center. You can still get tickets online at body hacks, B D Y H A X.com. Tickets will probably be also available day of at the show. We've got a fashion tech fashion show on Friday night. The conference is Saturday and Sunday all day. And then we have the wormhole where we celebrate the science fiction and fantasy around this space on Saturday night at a dance party. So check out the website, check out all the great speakers we've got. Um, some of the companies that I talked about today, uh, because I love the, them will be there, including Neosensory and Brainport and Cyborg Nest. And of course, the, the Body Hacking Conference website has a very interesting blog, which I have a few articles on. They have a lot of other interesting writers and contributors to that. So, if, yeah, well. if you like this stuff about being in a drone, read Michael's article, Being Every Drone. Um, it's not just one, Being Every Drone, talking about drone swarms and getting inside <laughs> of them and feeling them as a net of sensors. Um, it's, we're, we're, we're close. We could be there in a year or two. Because I definitely have, you know, I've thought, man, I would love to swarm all over you baby well you know. i mean there's uh astral ar is a company that will be at the event and they are i believe working on swarming technology for drones oh dear so all right well dude th- thank you so much trevor Thanks. and have a great day you too
got uh, got a lot more to learn. Work is not done here, and we may not ever figure it out. We probably won't figure it out.